Hello there and welcome along to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. And I have a few things to cover off just before we get stuck into this week's episode, and the first of which is to read out some feedback that I've received recently. I'd like to make this, if I can, a regular feature of the show, just to show my appreciation to those who tune in each week and have taken the time out to contact me either personally on my socials or WhatsApp or even through the Think Curiously socials. I'll keep it anonymous unless you would like uh, to have your name mentioned and would like to maybe come on to the show because that's something I, I mentioned last week. Over the next month or two, I'm looking for more people to come on to the podcast to share their ideas and experiences with Stoicism. And I have one of those hopefully coming out in the next few weeks. Now, I've received a message last week in relation to episode five, Watch Your Temper. And it reads just like this. I just listened to your cast on temper, some interesting points in relation to having negative thoughts about work and if that impacts on your temper. Having worked where I work for 21 years, every day is a grind to motivate motivate myself to get out of bed. Uh, But when I do, my colleagues get me through. Um, But it certainly plays a part in how my day goes. As for temper, I've finally learned that I need uh, to add more levels. Right now, I have no levels. I go from zero to 100 in the blink of an eye. That leaves whoever I'm talking to with nowhere to go but to come up to my level. I need to develop a way of going up through the levels as and when required. At the minute, I just feel like an angry man, always blubbering under the surface. Not good for me or for others. Keep up the good work certainly made me think this morning. I mean, when I got that, it made, it made me smile massively. I had a smile on my, my face the whole day because it's super motivating to, to hear that the podcast is having a positive impact and that it's promoting people to think a little bit deeper about uh, how they act and their emotions. They don't really have to be wrapped up in the whole idea of stoicism. They don't have to look at it in the depths that potentially I am or others do. It's just an acknowledgement that it's there and an acknowledgement of the benefits of thinking as deeply about your emotions, thoughts and feelings and actions uh, as that person who's just sent that through. So to give us feedback, you can, of course, uh, catch us across all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, it can be my personal page, it can be the podcast's page. Um, you can also subscribe to wherever you're listening now, so it could be Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, whatever it is. If you subscribe to that, you'll not obviously miss an episode, but it should be good to keep up with us. Um, but I would love to get as much feedback as possible and add it, like I said previously, to the show, just to give it that more bit of realism and to show people that, you know what, this stuff actually does make a difference if you just give it the time of day to think about it. So it's now time to get on with the show. Uh, Last week we met with Chrysippus as we explored his life and contributions to the Stoic philosophy. We continue our journey by walking through the life of Zeno of Taurus. One of the central beliefs of Stoicism is that history is cyclical, in that it always comes back around. We are interchangeable pieces, role players, in a play that has been running since the start of time. After Chrysippus' successful consolidation of the school, the choice was now his on who to appoint as the next leader of the Stoa. At the time of his deliberation, he was to choose between two potential heirs to the throne. Dioscorides, who we know little of, other than Chrysippus has dedicated at least six works of his, spanning over 21 volumes, specifically talking about Dioscorides. But it was likely that he was too old or not strong enough by this stage. However, Chrysippus did have a son, Zeno of Taurus. Zeno was most likely not a revolutionary or a disruptor. He wasn't even an ardent defender. But he may have been exactly what the philosophy needed, a maintainer, an administrator, just agreeable enough to calm things down. And as it goes, 
The first Xeno carved out new territory. Chrysippus threw punches and blocked some too. The second Xeno didn't need to do any of that. He did not need the limelight or to write hundreds of books or even to hold big lectures. Zeno of Taurus was a man who was just boring enough to smooth over the ripples of conflicts of his day. What the second Zeno needed to do was to steady the ship and carry on. The fact that we don't often talk about Zeno of Taurus in the same light as we do of the more popular figures of Stoicism is an absolute credit to the job that he done. No Stoic chases the adulation of the crowd. That's not something Stoics care about. What matters is that he done his job when he needed to do it. Now, as we move along the episode, I've titled this week's episode, Pleasure Can Be Punishment. And I've taken that from page 53 of the Daily Stoic, the book upon which this podcast is based. And it's dated February 13th. Now, during my reflections this week, uh, I've been thinking about uh, the joy and motivation that I get from planning, researching, recording and promoting this podcast But that sometimes comes to the expense of time spent with others who also provide me with the joy, motivation to continue to do what I do. And before I delve into my journal entry and its explanation, let's first read from the Daily Stoic, page 53, February 13th. Pleasure can become punishment. February 13th. Pleasure can become punishment. Whenever you get an impression of some pleasure, as with any impression, guard yourself from being carried away by it. Let it await your action. Give yourself a pause. After that, bring to mind both times. First, when you have enjoyed the pleasure and later, when you will regret it and hate yourself. Then compare to those the joy and satisfaction you'd feel for abstaining altogether. However, if a seemingly appropriate time arises to act on it, don't be overcome by its comfort, its pleasantness and allure. But against all of this, how much better the consciousness of conquering it? Self-control is a difficult thing, there's no question, which is why a popular trick from the dieting world might be helpful here. Some diets allow a cheat day, one day per week in which dieters can eat anything and everything they want. Indeed, they're encouraged to write a list during the week of all of the foods they crave, so they can enjoy them all at once as a treat. The thinking being that if you're eating healthy six out of seven days, you'll still be ahead. At first, this sounds like a dream, but anyone who's actually done this knows the truth. Each cheat day, you eat yourself sick and hate yourself afterwards. Soon enough, you're willing to abstain from cheating altogether, because you don't need it, and you definitely don't want it. It's not unlike a parent catching her child with cigarettes and forcing her to smoke the whole pack. It's important to connect the so-called temptation with its actual effects. Once you understand that indulging might actually be worse than resisting, the urge begins to lose its appeal. In this way, Self-control becomes the real pleasure, and the temptation becomes the regret. As you'll hear shortly, this week's reflections really hit home for me. I recently have been so wrapped up and focused on the podcast that I've been ignoring other aspects of my life. I'm an an all-in type person, so when I take on a project, I I commit to something fully focused, and I completely and utterly use my time as much as possible to get the best out of me and get the best out of the project. But sometimes when I focus completely on it, I take on so much work that the days and weeks pretty much fly by and I forget myself sometimes. You know what, actually, this might resonate with some people, I'm not too sure, but sometimes when I'm not busy, I will forget to eat. That sounds like a really silly thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, your body must tell you you know, that you're hungry. It does at times, but 
you're always thinking, right, when I get this line written or when I get this part of the episode produced, I'll go get something to eat. And then when you get to that point, you realize how much closer you are to the, to the end. So you just keep going through it until the point goes, well, hunger actually disappears. And before you know it, it's nine o'clock at night and you haven't ate. So that's just giving you a little insight into into how I think and how I work. Probably not the most um, healthy way of doing it. Um, and hopefully maybe I'll get a little bit more better at that, understanding it the more of these reflections I do. But I have my days planned pretty much from the time that I wake up until I go to bed. So my checklists uh, are extensive from calls, writing, producing, video editing, social media, connecting and network with potential guests. The cycle just continues. And I know now by doing this reflection that I don't really have a lot of flexibility. So someone calls in for a cup of tea or drops me a text to, to go for a coffee or whatever it is. It's kind of like, right, okay, what has to move in order to allow that in? And sometimes it's a difficult process for me to to try and get through. Um, so often... I have to know in advance that I'm going for a tea, that other I'm putting a walk in my diary with somebody else because, um, like I say, my my days are I like to, to to be as productive as I possibly can do with my time, and that's something that I've hit on recently in terms of understanding how I can be productive, like getting to the point where if I'm cooking dinner, this might sound again silly, but if I'm cooking dinner, I'll wash up as I go. I never used to do that, never used to do that, and I'm sure there's, I'm not the only person out there. But now I understand how productive it is and how much ta- how much less time you spend after the effect. And that gives you more time you can focus on something else. So it's kind of almost like trying to win time back somewhere along the line. So that's kind of where my focus has been recently. What what that actually does is that it doesn't really leave room for, for much else. I mean, no time left to sit and chill in front of the TV or watch Netflix. And if I do have Netflix on the background or a football match on the background, it's normally with my laptop on my lap and I'm working on something else without getting carried away with it. That, that's kind of what it looks like for me in, my, in terms of how I schedule my day. And I get the feeling sometimes that when I, I try to schedule, I do schedule reading in, but the reading for me sometimes is, is seen as just purely for knowledge gain and not really for enjoyment. What I've just sort of mentioned to you there very, very brief, briefly, I think you can see the reason why I've chosen the title of this week's episode, Pleasure Can Be a Punishment. But that's only scratching the surface, you see, because this week I was so focused on my work and I put work in inverted commas that I missed uh, someone very close to me reaching out for help, for an ear to listen to. um, And when they're having a tough time, they wanted to speak up and and have a chat with me. And I missed it because I was so fully focused on what I was doing. And I've never been hit in the face with a sledgehammer, but that experience, I can certainly imagine what it must feel like because it it hit home and it hit hard. Uh, And with this in mind, I set about writing my journal entry for the 13th of February and here's what I came up with. I tend to seek pleasure from knowledge, like I have a constant need to be learning and gaining knowledge. This ultimately leads to punishment in the form of stress and a workload that is unforgiving, plus a mental state that associates higher workload with my purpose and my cause. That was no truer than yesterday when my actions were fully focused on my work, which meant I missed a cry for help. But I didn't pick up on it because I was chasing the pleasure associated with my workload, which is the ultimate punishment. The pressure and the pleasure of believing that I have a free mind and that I detest conformity leads to potential situations of stress. I need to repackage that thought. I think it goes back to authenticity. It often leads to punishment because it's not the way everyone expects you to react or live your life. So you're constantly pushing back against barriers. Hence, more stress. Maybe no one is fully authentic. We just adapt and change to our circumstances. I think that's where I've made decisions in the past, thinking that I was being authentic, but now I'm asking myself, 
was I ever authentic? I think what's quite what's quite clear about my reflections there is that there's a few things that continue to repeat themselves over the last number of weeks. There's been patterns in it. So the idea of conformity, the idea of authenticity, and the idea of gaining knowledge and, and, and having a workload that that allows me to diverge into different areas, but also kind of puts me in, in my place and stops me in my tracks to do other things. So that's been a realization for me and I have been constantly thinking about that and writing extra reflection notes all around those three topics just to try and gain a better understanding of it. So I hope that someone somewhere has found that useful and interesting and as always we'll continue now with the rest of the show as we'll go through day by day over the last seven weeks taking wisdom from the Daily Stoic, the book upon which this podcast is based by Ryan Holiday. February 12th protect your peace of mind. Keep constant guard over your perceptions, for it's no small thing that you're protecting, but your respect, trustworthiness, steadiness, peace of mind, freedom from pain and fear, and in a word, your freedom. Now for what would you sell these things? The dysfunctional job that stresses you out, a contentious relationship, life in the spotlight. Stoicism, because it helps us manage and think through our emotions and reactions, can make these kinds of situations easier to bear. It can help you manage and mitigate the triggers that seem so constantly tripped. But here's a question. Why are you subjecting yourself to this? Is this really an environment that you were made for? To be provoked by nasty emails and an endless parade of workplace problems? Our adrenaline glands can only handle so much before they become exhausted. Shouldn't you preserve them for the life and death situations? So yes, Use Stoicism to manage these difficult situations. But don't forget to ask, is this really the life that I want? Every time you get upset, a little bit of life leaves your body. Are these really the things on which you want to spend the priceless resources of your time? Don't be afraid to make a change. A big one. Now because we already visited February the 13th in the main body of the episode, we now skip to February the 14th and it's titled Think Before You Act. For to be wise is only one thing, to fix our attentions on our intelligence, which guides all things everywhere. Why did I do that? You've probably asked yourself before. We all have. How could I have been so stupid? What was I thinking? That's the problem. You weren't. Within that head of yours is all the reasons and intelligence that you need. It's making sure that it's deferred and utilised. That's the tough part. It's making sure that your mind is in charge, not your emotions. Not your immediate physical sensations, not your surging hormones. Fix your attention on your intelligence. Let it do its thing. February 15th, only bad dreams. Clear your mind and get a hold of yourself. And as when waking from sleep and realizing it was only a bad dream upsetting you, wake up and see that's what's there is just like those dreams. The author Raymond Chandler was describing most of us when he wrote in a letter to his publisher, I never looked back, although I had many uneasy periods looking forward. Thomas Jefferson once joked in a letter to John Adams, how much pain had cost us the evils which have never happened. And Seneca would put it best. There is nothing so certain in our fears that's not yet more certain in the fact that most of what we dread comes to nothing. Many of the things that upset us, the Stoics believed, are a product of our imagination, not reality. Like dreams, they are vivid and realistic at the time, but preposterous once we come out of it. In a dream, we never stop to think and say, hey, does this make any sense? No, we go along with it. The same goes with our flights of anger or fear or other extreme emotions. Getting upset is like continuing the dream while you're awake. 
The thing that provoked you wasn't real, but your reaction was. And so from the fake comes real consequences. Which is why you need to wake up right now instead of creating a nightmare. February 16th. Don't make things harder than they need to be. If someone asks you how to write your name, would you bark out each letter? And if they get angry, would you return the anger? Wouldn't you rather gently spell out each letter for them? So then, remember in life that your duties are the sum of individual acts. Pay attention to each of those as you do your duty. Just methodically complete your tasks. Here's a common scenario. You're working with a frustrating co-worker or a difficult boss. They ask you to do something and because you dislike the messenger, you immediately object. There's this problem or there's that one. Or their request is obnoxious and rude. So you tell them, no, I'm not going to do that. Then they retaliate by doing something that you had previously asked of them. And so conflict escalates. Meanwhile, if you could step back and see it objectively, you'd probably see that not everything they're asking for is unreasonable. In fact, some of it is pretty easy to do, or is at least agreeable. And if you did it, it might make the rest of the task a bit more tolerable too. Pretty soon, you've done the entire thing. Life and our job is difficult enough. Let's not make it harder by getting emotional about insignificant matters or digging in for battles we don't actually care about. Let's not let emotion get in the way of the simple, appropriate actions on the path to virtue. February 17th, the enemy of happiness. It is quite impossible to unite happiness with a yearning for what we don't have. Happiness has all that it wants, and resembling the well-fed, there shouldn't be any hunger or thirst. I'll be happy when I graduate, we tell ourselves. I'll be happy when I get this promotion, when this diet pays off, when I have the money that my parents never had. Conditional happiness is what psychologists call this kind of thinking. Like the horizon that you walk towards for miles and miles but you never reach, you won't get anywhere close. Eagerly anticipating some future event, passionately imagining something you desire, looking for forward for happiness in a certain scenario, as pleasurable as these activities might seem, they ruin your chance of happiness here and now. Locate that yearning for more, better, and someday see it for what it is, the enemy of your contentment. Choose it or your happiness. As Epictetus says, the two are not comparable. February 18th. Prepare for the storm. This is a true athlete, the person in rigorous training against false impressions. Remain firm. You who suffer, don't be kidnapped by your impressions. The struggle is great, the task divine, to gain mastery, freedom, happiness and tranquility. Epictetus also used the metaphor of a storm, saying that our impressions are not unlike extreme weather that can catch us and whirl us about. When we get worked up or passionate about an issue, we can relate. But let's think about that role of the weather in modern times. Today, we have forecasters and experts who can fairly accurately predict storm patterns. Today, we're defenseless against a hurricane only if we refuse to prepare for it or heed its warnings. If we don't have a plan, if we'd never learned how to put up storm windows, we will be at the mercy of those external events and internal elements. We're still puny human beings compared with a 100 mile per hour storm. But we have the advantage of being able to prepare being able to struggle against them in a new way.